Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, ladies and gents, to the Absolute Return Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Kesslering. And on today's show, we welcome special guest, Sarco CEO, Ben Wolf. Sarco's Technology and Robotics Corporation is a leader in the development of robots that augment humans to enhance productivity and safety. On the show, Ben discusses why Time Magazine named the Sarco's Guardian Exoskeleton one of the best inventions of 2020, their robot-as-a-service business model, how robotics are going to change the future of work, key insights from the recent going public process, and advice for CEOs considering taking their company public, and more. So with no further ado, here's our podcast with Sarco CEO, Ben Wolf. We have Ben from Sarco's Technology and Robotics Corporation on the podcast today, and I'm super excited because it's like we're talking to the real-life Tony Stark. That's right. Sarcos manufactures exoskeletons, these really cool robotic machines that look to unlock human potential and help with uh, a number of various tasks. And we're going to get into the products and the exoskeletons today. But Ben, prior to getting into that, I did want to give our listeners a sense of your wide-ranging career. You started out as a lawyer in the 1990s prior to transitioning to business and entrepreneurship. You were co-founder and CEO of Clearwire, CEO of Pendrill and now co-founder and CEO of Sarcos. Can you walk us through your background and career history? Sure. You know, I, I actually started my first company when I was 17 years old. Uh, so I had an early taste for entrepreneurship, loved business, loved uh, everything about business, and uh, decided to go to law school uh, so that I could learn how to be a better business person. Um, you know, obviously, a lot of what you do in business has legal underpinnings uh, and negotiations and all that kind of stuff. So I thought I was only going to be a lawyer for a few years. Uh, wound up being a partner in a major na- national law firm and did that for 10 years. Um, but along the path of being a lawyer, um, my practice focused on, again, business, M&A transactions, securities transactions, all that kind of stuff. And, and that really, I think, positioned me well to then transition into running a private equity firm. Um, it was a rather large private equity firm. We did everything from small investments to very large uh, acquisitions of majority stakes. Um, and it was in the context of running that private equity firm in 2012 that I first came across Sarcos. At that time, Sarcos was the robotics division of Raytheon. Uh, Raytheon had bought the business in 2007, and um, uh, I tried hard to buy the business back then. We couldn't come to terms uh, back then. And then I retired from running the private equity firm, uh, both the public and the private side of it, in uh, late 2014. And within about a week, I had a call from Raytheon, uh, and we were talking again about Sarcos. Uh, and so my wife and I then participated in a management buyout where we acquired the business from Raytheon with my co-founders. And you know, prior to that time, Sarcos had really been an R&D firm. It's got a rich history in developing both prosthetics and robotic systems, um, but mostly in the R&D context. And my vision for the business back in 2012 and again in early 2015 was to take all of this technology uh, around robotics that the Pentagon and others had funded to develop 
and to pivot the business to focus on commercial product applications of a robotic system. So that's that's getting into a little bit about Sarcos, but that's that's my history. Lawyer, M&A, uh, private equity guy, and then also entrepreneur. Uh, during the kind of the in-between periods, I started Clearwire, as you mentioned. Uh, we built that company up as the first 4G wireless carrier across eight different nations, and then ultimately sold that business to Sprint for $14 billion. Thanks for that summary and the background on Sarcos. And if our listeners haven't seen some of the videos of what Sarcos does, I encourage them to check them out. You can find a bunch on YouTube. But to the extent they haven't, can you describe what Sarcos offers? We are focused on highly dexterous mobile robotic systems. And what that means is when we talk about dexterity, we're talking about robots that can do things with arms. Um, if you think about the human body, we've got legs that we use for transporting us from one place to another. And then we've got our upper bodies that are used to interface with the real world and to manipulate things in the real world. So our whole focus as a robotics company is not on the transport side. There are a lot of robotics companies that are focused on taking people or goods from one place to another. We're focused on what you can do with the upper body to be able to replicate the kind of movement that humans can but to do it in a way that the robot is doing all of the dangerous or difficult or demanding work. So in the case of the exoskeleton, this is a full body wearable humanoid robot that you get into and you're able to start doing things with superhuman strength. So you or I could get into the robot and start lifting up to 200 pounds with no stress or strain on your body at all. And it's not just lifting it vertically like a forklift. It's actually being able to manipulate it at the, you know, with, with your arms and your wrists and your hands the way we humans do, just with superhuman strength. So that is an industrial strength machine uh, intended for use across a wide range of industries that involve physically demanding work. And then we've also came up with a variation of the exoskeleton, which is what we call a robotic avatar, where we take the upper body of the exoskeleton, the torso, the arms, the hands, the wrists, and apply it to different kinds of mobile bases. So think about it being on top of a scissor lift or a bucket truck. And in that instance, the robot is controlled by the human, but remote from the robot. So think about it either being wirelessly connected or wired connected. And it can do things like cutting trees at height or managing power line maintenance applications or cutting welding and sanding at height, all kinds of things where humans probably couldn't or shouldn't be in the direct environment because of risk of injury. Uh, and in this case, the robot is a surrogate or an avatar for the human. And again, it can lift up to 200 pounds and do highly dexterous tasks. So Time Magazine named Sar the Sarcos Guardian exoskeleton as one of the best inventions of 2020. What makes this invention so great, besides obviously the ability to have superhuman strength? I think one of the things that's, that's great about it is it gives people, whether they're young or old, big or small, male or female, young or old, it gives them the ability to do physically demanding work in a way that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise. So the fact that we can, you know, particularly in these days where you, we have these significant labor shortages, I mean, we've all heard about the labor shortages that are particularly affecting the traditional, you know, manual labor type of jobs. The fact that we can recruit a whole new generation of people that might not otherwise want to do physically demanding work into these jobs, and it doesn't matter what their body composition is. You know, some of these jobs, you historically had to be built like a college football linebacker or else you couldn't do the job. And that's just not going to be the case anymore when we launch our commercial products. So I think that's what makes it such an innovative and compelling product. It's easy to use, it's intuitive, quick to get in and out of, safe to use, and it allows you to have superhuman strength and to avoid injury. So that's it, it, a pretty novel concept. The other thing that makes it very different, Julian, than, than so many other robotic systems is 
robotics engineers typically identify a problem and then they make a machine to solve that specific problem. And, and that creates often a fairly limited use, set of use cases and customers. We've tried to flip that whole paradigm on its head and instead build robotic platforms that have a wide variety of uses across a wide variety of industries, almost as flexible as we humans are ourselves. Yeah, so this technology, it's really cutting edge. Like uh, I can only imagine all the various applications that can be uh, resolved or assisted with with this technology. But in innovating this technology over the past six years, developing, what has been the biggest challenge with developing these exoskeletons? One of the biggest issues we had to overcome was power. When you talk about having a mobile robot, you know, the question is, how do you power it? Right. Uh, because it can't be tethered to a power cable or else you can't completely defeat the utility of the machine. And, you know, the very first version of the exoskeleton that we developed was using about 6,800 watts of power on average an hour. To give you a, a, a comparable uh, concept, you know, a DJI drone, for example, uses about 4,000 watts of power to stay aloft. And they can only operate for 20 or 30 minutes because there's you know, a weight to the machine. It's, it requires a lot of power to stay aloft, and therefore there's only so much battery it can carry. We have the same kinds of challenges with the exoskeleton, not dissimilar to the challenges that Tesla first had in trying to produce an electric vehicle, where you're trying to get enough power on board to make it have real utility. So we've been able to take that 6,800 watts of power, which would only give us about 10 minutes of battery life, and we're now able to produce a machine that's using less than 500 watts of power while walking at three miles an hour and carrying 160 pounds of payload. What that means is we've been able to convert the machine to a full battery operated li using lithium ion technology um, that has hours of battery life per use. And that makes it viable for the first time. All walking robots use a lot of power. You know, right. you've seen cool videos of robots that dance and pirouette and do all those cool things. Those use five or 6,000 watts of power, which means from a battery life perspective, humanoid robots are a real challenge. So that's one of the single biggest technology challenges that we had to overcome. That makes sense because these, while cool, they have to be practical as well. And no one wants to be constantly having to charge this or it running out of batteries while you're in the middle of a task. So that is good to know. I did want to touch on the Sarcos business model. Now, going through the investor presentation, I came across Robot as a Service, uh, this RAS business model that you guys are running. Can you discuss how that works and who your typical customer would be? Yeah, so our approach to our customers is to say, think of us as a next generation uh, staffing firm or a labor contractor. We're providing next generation units of labor. In our case, instead of human labor, it's robotic or mechanical labor. And so we tell our customers to put our robot on their payroll, just like they would a human. We service and maintain it, make sure it shows up for work every day with a smile on or else you don't have to pay me. And <laughs> as long as it shows up for work, it will generate in most of the use cases that we've looked at with our customers, it'll generate a productivity level that allows one human operator plus our robot to do the work of three, four or five or even more humans. So for the cost of effectively one fully burdened $25 an hour employee, which is what we charge our customers, fully burdened, they get the productivity of multiple humans. So it's an immediate ROI to our customers. And you ask, who are our customers? We've announced that we have um, development partnerships to, to trial and deploy our machines with companies like Caterpillar, Delta Airlines, uh, Bechtel and Construction, uh, a whole myriad of different Fortune 500 companies 
that are across a wide range of industries with the common theme being they rely on workers to do physically demanding work. So for the exoskeleton, the initial uh, target markets that we see, kind of the lowest hanging fruit, are in manufacturing of all types, and then also in warehousing and logistics. For the avatar version of the machine, the initial markets that we have a lot of traction with are construction, repair and maintenance of physical facilities and plant, um, and then um, uh, the last one that we're focused on is the power generation industry. And now, a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest-growing alternative investment solution providers. With a suite of institutional-caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance, the Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. You had mentioned earlier your your previous experience in private equity. Can you talk a little bit about what some of your takeaways from working with the operating companies and your investments in the private equity world in a very different structure that you've been able to leverage in the management of Sarcos? You know, I think what I, what I learned um, from my days in private equity and investing was how to create a return on investment with the dollars that are invested. And to me, it's, it's as much about identifying the right opportunity as it is then executing on that opportunity. And what gets me excited as an investor, generally speaking, is when you see a very, very large market opportunity or what the marketplace refers to as a TAM with unique with a unique moat around the business, whether it's intellectual property or, or know-how of some kind that allows you to have a lead in the market. And then what does the competitive landscape look like? And, and when I apply those factors to Sarcos, you know, we've got a massive multi-billion dollar market opportunity. We have no direct competition today. And then we have a pretty good moat around our business because we have a very large body of patents and other technologies that we've developed over the years coupled with a team that I would say, you know, in the, in the context of highly dexterous mobile robots, I would say is second to none. I mean, we have a team that has decades of experience in these types of robotic systems that's hard to replicate. So, um, you know, coupling a massive market opportunity, clear market demand with very little or no competition, that's, that's as an investor, it doesn't get any better. Yeah, I did want to drill down on the competitive environment you indicated there isn't much for competition, but is there anyone you know trying to develop exoskeletons? Are there any call it less expensive but less applicable potential alternatives to utilizing an exoskeleton? Great question, Julian. So start with the with the prospect that the word exoskeleton is a very very broad term. Right. Exoskeleton is used to refer to any kind of a, a mechanical device that attaches to your body to enhance endurance or strength or, or whatever else it might be, you know, enhance human capability. Exoskeletons, there are a number of exoskeletons in the market today. Some are focused on rehabilitation activities. So where somebody has some kind of a walking infirmity or impairment to be able to help somebody walk again as a whole category of rehabilitation exoskeletons. There are other exoskeletons that are designed for the industrial workspace that are either not powered or are lightly powered and think of them like a brace that allow you to have more endurance holding a tool over your head, for example, overhead. In all cases, these exoskeletons that are in the market don't try and do what we try. 
So if, if exoskeleton is a broad word, think of it like vehicle. There are all kinds of different vehicles that transport goods or people from one place to another. A skateboard could be considered a vehicle. A bicycle could be considered a vehicle. A Ford F-150 pickup could be considered a vehicle. An F-35 could be considered a vehicle. What I'd tell you is that from our perspective, we have no competition in our full body wearable industrial powered exoskeleton. There's nothing else out there that can come close to lifting 200 pounds. Um, there's nothing else that's full body robotic like ours is. So if we're an F-150 pickup, you might describe these other exoskeletons as being the bicycle or the skateboard. And there's nothing wrong with that. We all know there's markets for all of those different types of transportation and there are markets for all these different types of exoskeletons. But we are uniquely positioned in terms of our wearable full body robot with, with no other competition in the space. That on a more macro level, how, do you, how are robotics going to change the future of work in your opinion? You know, I think everything that can be automated will be automated. Um, the dynamics of the efficiencies, the economics, um, and the labor shortage means that there's an absolute imperative to automate everything that can be automated. But keep in mind, we're a different type of robotics company. We're not focused on automation. Automation, I define most basically as uh, repetitive tasks that a robot can do over and over again instead of a human doing that dull, boring task. In our case, we're trying to augment humans with robotics in all of those jobs that are too dynamic or diversified and they kind of defy repetition. And as a result, we're trying to bring the economic efficiencies of automation, but for all those jobs where human intelligence is still required for making decisions. I think that both automation and human augmentation robots are going to play an increasingly important role in the industrial workplace over the next five, 10 years. And that's really driven by these trends that we see in the industrialized world about labor shortages. We have an aging workforce across most of the industrialized world. And we have fewer and fewer young people that want to go into physically demanding jobs. They'd rather sit behind computers like you and I are doing right now. Um, and so, you know, most kids coming out of high school or college don't aspire to go into these jobs that require heavy lifting or backbreaking work. Well, now we can reverse that trend because instead of being a warehouse worker, you can be the pilot of the coolest robot on the planet. Uh, that sounds pretty appealing, especially you come across uh guys who work for moving companies and it seems like they're always messing up their back. So to the extent that they could uh, afford an exoskeleton, I definitely recommend one. Now, uh, recent big news at the company, Sarcos going public, uh, which happened a few months back. So you guys are up and trading as a public company. You went public via SPAC versus traditional IPO. What was the thinking behind that? And uh, you know, how was that whole experience? So the, the real driver for a company that is at our stage, which is effectively a pre-revenue company where we have yet to launch our products, the appeal of a SPAC is that we get to tell the public our vision of the future for Sarcos um, in a way that the IPO rules don't really allow. When I took Clearwire public, we went through the more traditional IPO approach. And what you notice about the traditional IPO approach is that almost the entire focus is backward looking. Right. What are the financials for the last three years? Um, you know, what are, what are the trends over the last three years look like? And for us, that, our story is not about the, the history. Our story is about what the next five years are going to look like. And that's why I think going public through a SPAC is a unique opportunity for a company that is more in the development stage like we are. Yeah, we hear that a lot, the ability or lack of ability to give any sort of forecast or guidance through the traditional S1 IPO structure and then the SPAC enabling a company that's going public to 
generate and communicate these forecasts and projections to their investors. Because as you indicated, for a pre-revenue company, you don't have a lot to show in the S1, but you do have a big growth opportunity for investors. Now, that being said, going through this process, you chose to merge with the SPAC Rotor Acquisition Corp. How did that come about? You know, Did you talk to multiple SPACs and what set Rotor apart? We did talk to multiple SPACs, um, and uh, we decided that Rotor was the right fit for us, in part because of the, the principles behind Rotor. Um, you know, there are a lot of SPACs out there, obviously, and they come in all different shapes and sizes and flavors and different sponsors. Um, the sponsors behind Rotor, I think, are some of the, 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 the top that we could, could hope for. Um, you know, the former CEO of Credit Suisse US, uh, the former vice chair of Bank of America, um, these are people with incredible integrity and great track records and somebody that Wall Street knows and recognizes as credible people. Um, uh, so I think, you know, that it, it was it was really about the people uh, and, and the terms and everything else. I mean, they, they were able to move quickly. Uh, just a great group of folks at Rotary. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate. Do you want to diversify your investment portfolio while benefiting the planet? The Accelerate Carbon Negative Bitcoin ETF, symbol ABTC on the Toronto Stock Exchange, provides investors with exposure to Bitcoin while protecting the environment. Accelerate implements a global tree planting campaign to sequester carbon emissions and help fight climate change. Up to 10% of ABTC's 69 basis point management fee will be allocated to Accelerate's annual tree planting campaign. For each $1,000 invested in ABTC, an estimated one net ton of carbon dioxide is expected to be sequestered each year. Buy Bitcoin, save the planet. Find out more at investabtc.com. And you went through this going public SPAC merger process earlier this year. It must have been a ton of work, but that's now behind you. I'm sure you went through a lot of challenges and opportunities, learned a lot of lessons. So say there's a CEO of a private company considering going public. They are thinking about a SPAC. Were there any learnings, tips that you could offer for those considering it? You know, I think number one, it is expensive. It is not a, there's a lot of bankers and lawyers that expect to get paid through this kind of a process. So if anybody says it's cheaper to go the SPAC route than the traditional IPO route, I I, I might question the statistic and encourage you to look at the statistics on that. There's also rumors out there that it can be faster. I don't know that it's really faster. Um, you know, the due diligence that is done, despite what you hear about from the media, it's extensive due diligence that gets done. And, uh, you know, just a, a lot of the same aspects that are involved in an IPO are also involved in a, in a SPAC. So I don't think it's necessarily cheaper. I don't think it's necessarily faster. And it's, it is a ton of work. You know, you need to be prepared to have your management team uh, dedicate a lot of their time to getting ready for this. I think that it is, it is important overall, if you're just thinking about going public, whether it's through an IPO or a SPAC, to really get your arms around what it's going to mean to be a public company. You know, I, this is obviously my third time to be a public company CEO, but your world changes pretty dramatically. Right. Um, and the responsibilities for quarterly reporting and transparency and all of that is, it, 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 I think it has caught some DSPAC management teams a bit by surprise. And so I would say if you're a CEO of a private company thinking about going public, just spend all the time you can with other public company CEOs that have gone through it and, and understand what really is going to be involved. Yeah, those are some good 
tips for those considering going public via a SPAC or an IPO direct listing, whatever it is, going public entails a ton of work. And obviously, it is expensive for whichever route you go. Now, given this is cutting edge technology, what you guys are up to at Sarco, so it'd be interesting to be a fly on the wall of your R&D facilities. I'm wondering, what's in store for the future of Sarco's products? Uh, anything cool you're working on? Are we going to get Iron Man-like robotic suits? You know, I was asked uh, whether we're going to get Iron Man um, by a, a senior official. <laughs> and and my, uh, my off-the-cuff response was, as soon as somebody can get me the arc reactor, then we can start talking about it because it gets back to this power source. <laughs> right. Right. So that's, that's kind of my, my quick clip on that. Um, I, I think, look, the, the, the future for these kinds of technologies about augmenting humans is exciting because as we start embedding artificial intelligence capabilities into these machines, the productivity between a human and the machine can, can just exponentially increase. Um, imagine being able to wear the robot to train it to perform certain tasks so that instead of having to have the human manage each and every movement of the machine, the human moves more into a supervisory role, and the robot can then perform some of these more rudimentary tasks on its own. Because we're starting life here with a full-body wearable robot, I mean, this is a robot that could actually walk on its own if you asked it to, you, you have the ability to wear it to teach it how to do things perfectly the first time the way we humans do things. We've been learning how to manipulate the real world since we were infants. And so to be able to meld, in effect, our human wisdom and judgment and intuition and instinct with these machines to train them to be able to perform tasks. It's, it's kind of shortcutting the traditional way that AI is done. And, and that's where I think, you know, when we're five, six, seven years down the road, we'll have an opportunity to see these machines doing tasks that they've learned how to do on their own to recognize objects and interface in the real world so that we might get to the point that one human can manage a small fleet of these machines instead of just one human managing one. Uh, and, and so we have a, a very robust a brilliant AI team that is working on these kinds of advanced technologies to just continue to iterate what the machines are capable of. Again, to draw an analogy, uh, hopefully it's not too, too simplistic, but as you think about an EV that is increasingly learning how to become an autonomous driving machine, we have that same kind of capability with these machines. Okay, well, as long as they don't turn into some of the bad robots from the Terminator series, I'm on board with that. Uh, but Ben, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Super exciting stuff happening at Sarcos. And it is up and trading on the NASDAQ under the ticker symbol STRC. If investors are interested in checking out the stock, looking more into the story, definitely check out all of their filings as well. Do your due diligence prior to investing. So Ben, thanks so much. I wish you the best of luck and super interesting stuff happening at Sarcos. Thank you for sharing with us today. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast 
discussed are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.